Let's open our Bibles, if you would please, to the gospel, not the gospel of Matthew. We don't want to go there. I could preach the sermon, this morning's sermon all over again, but I won't do that. Instead, we'll go to Revelation, Revelation chapter 18. And we continue our study in this 18th chapter, which gives details of the destruction of the empire of the Antichrist known as Babylon. One of the things that we've noted as we've gone through our study here in Revelation is that Babylon always has bad connotations. Whatever you see it in the Scripture, it always is against God. Uh, Babylon is against God. It's known as the domain of Satan. It's the mother of all apostate religions. It stands in opposition. And so whether you're talking about a religious empire, political empire, economic, whatever it is, think of anything that's against God, and you'll find that in Babylon. And we notice this especially in chapter 18, that the whole world is consumed with Babylon. In chapter 17, we saw the fall of the religious system, and that's the system that's grown up ever since Babylon first began, just shortly after the flood. We see the destruction of that in chapter 17. And as we get into chapter 18, we're looking at the destruction of the economic side of Babylon. Now, these two empires, the two parts of that are very closely connected, the religious and the, and the political. And we ought not to think that because the religious empire, the ecclesiastical portion of this has been destroyed in chapter 17, that there is no more religion in Babylon, because there certainly is. Uh, it's just changed. And in Babylon, after the ecclesiastical empire is destroyed, the economy becomes the god. And economy is the god of Babylon, and the god of Babylon is the Antichrist who, who is, uh, stands for, represents that, that, evil, that evil empire and desire and system of men. Now, even today, the world is pushing towards this type of religion, and we see it in, uh, I think, especially in our area of the country. For many years, those that were in the East, like when I used to live in the East, uh, I looked at California as being out there, being out there on the cutting edge of, of everything, out on the, out on the front. Uh, whether it came to technology issues or social issues, uh, the economy, whatever it was, California was always seen as the leader. And I would have to say this, that sadly, when it comes to the destruction of America, California is also the leader. It seems like they're out front. Well, when it comes to rejecting everything that our forefathers stood for, our founding fathers, California is out front. And when it comes to immorality, when it comes to decadent lifestyles, California is out in front. And if there's anything that is against God, you'll find it right here. And one of the first among the first in California is right here in our beloved Bay Area. This is the worst of it all. And right here... We have people that have a, a lot of religion. There's much religion here, and the religion here is the economy. God, the God of this area that we live, is the economy. Now, I wouldn't be surprised that when the tribulation comes, that it might just come to California first. Uh, we're out here on the cutting edge of everything, and so we have both feet firmly planted in a system that's ripe, for the plucking of the Antichrist. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if it doesn't hit here first. Well, that be as it may, the God that is worshipped here, what we're worshipping in this part of the country, has no power. This is a God that does nothing for us. It's done nothing but to add misery to people's lives. 
And the further that you get entrenched into it, the worse that it becomes. I mean, there is no good that comes out of this at all. So what do we have around us today? We have discontentment. Have you ever heard such complaints as people have today? Always upset about something? And that's because the gods of this world have no ability to bring peace, joy, and contentment to people's lives. This God of the economy offers people only misery. And you'll find out when trouble comes that when things go a little bit sour, when your health fails, when you lose your job, when, when uh, the finances fail, there is no hope at all with the world. There's nothing to look forward to here, so there's nothing you can draw strength from. And so we find here in chapter 18 that the world has put all of its confidence in a man and in the economy, and when that fails, when that goes down, when all of this is destroyed, we have Babylon bewailed. Now, God is going to destroy this world system from the top to the bottom. Everything that's against God, from the least to the greatest, God is going to reduce to a heap of rubble. God is going to rule this world, and everything wrong is going to be turned upside uh, to the right side. Everything's going to be turned around. And that forbidden fruit that Adam ate way back in the Garden of Eden, who ups- that upset all of the world, is going to be taken care of, and God is going to renew this world. So this is what God is doing in chapter 18, and this is the reaction of the world. What we're looking at here, the reaction of the world who's put all of their confidence in this man called the Antichrist and in the system that he controls. Now, we're going to look into the Scriptures again, and I want to look at this long section that we have beginning in chapter 9, going all the way down to the end of the chapter. And as I told you last time, which is a couple of weeks ago, that there is no real stopping place in this. It all fits together. So we're going to read it all once again. So if you look at verse number 9 in chapter 18, it says, And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and live deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her, when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thyine wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and of iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. And the fruits of thy soul... And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour... So great riches is come to naught, and every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is likened to this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of, the costly, of her costliness, for in one hour is she made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence 
shall that great city Babylon be thrown down, and she be found, and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee, and no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. So we're speaking here of Babylon bewailed. This is the angst, it is the lamentation and the weeping of Babylon. And it begins in verse number 9 with the kings. Now this is where we started in our message a couple of weeks ago. And that is the cry of the kings. These are the heads of state from all over the world that have joined up with the Antichrist. And in him, they saw an an opportunity to climb out of all this havoc that was created when God brought judgment upon the world. Now, God has brought utter devastation so that there's no nation on the earth that's not affected by all of these plagues that have come. And out of all of that turmoil and out of all this economic mess, there rises a man who has a plan. He, has, uh, uh, he is a, a charismatic person. He's intelligent. He's a master manipulator. I mean, none of those abilities are false. He possesses all of that. He's the whole package. And with supernatural power given to him by Satan, he offers the world hope. And, of course, that person is the Antichrist. And one of the most amazing aspects of him is the ability that he has to stabilize the world in what seems to be a, a hopeless situation. And when you read this list of things that are, that are stated here, you see just how, how powerful the economy is in that time, and you can't help but think what ability that a person like this must have, that of all of that chaos, he can pull it back together and actually build an economy where the world has is, is enriched itself. Now, a few weeks ago, I think it was, the, the government gave us great news. It said that the recession is over. And I, and I don't know how many of you went out and just partied in the streets because you're so much better off because the recession is over. But you look at this, and here is a far worse time. And here is something that is really felt because out of all that mess, out of all that chaos, the Antichrist pulls it back together again. And as we read this, it reads like happy days are here again. The kings of the earth, it says, they live deliciously with Babylon. They've found rejuvenation. Now, before, it looked like their kingdoms could not stand. Everything is being destroyed. And so, getting back to all that wealth that they had, they sell their souls to do that. They have a great time doing it, but it only lasts for a little while. And now, they stand back here in chapter 18, and they gaze at the smoke that's rising from the destruction of Babylon, and they cry about it. They lament this. The sad reality begins to sink in. They cannot win against God. Very shortly, they're going to be brought to a place where God is going to utterly defeat them for all time, and that's in the battle of Armageddon. So we looked at that first, the cry of the kings. Then secondly was the mourning of merchants. Verse number 11, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. Now what follows here from verse 11 is a long list of every kind of merchandise that you can think of. All the categories are here. Jewelry and clothing and furnishing, spices, transportation, and even one category that you might not have thought of, 
In verse number 13, at the end of that list, it says, slaves and souls of men. And so after all this long list of commodities, there's an addition here. Just like any other commodity, just like wheat, just like a pound of coffee, like a bucket of coal, it lists slaves and souls of men. W.A. Criswell, in his book, Expository Sermons on Revelation, has a very moving sermon on chapter 18, and he lists the reasons for Babylon's destruction. And reason number one, he says, is the iniquity that's found in verse number five. Then he says reason number two, that's the arrogance and the self-conceit that's found there in verse number seven. And then he lists lists reason number three for the fall of Babylon. And this classic style of of W.A. Criswell, he says it so eloquently. He says, there is a third reason for the destruction of this great city. Look closely at verses 12 and 13. In them are listed 28 articles of merchandise. The enumeration starts off with gold, and after the list is completed, it closes with the souls of men. Think of that. Souls used as one would pack freight. Crate them up, ship them out, drop them from a baboon. So here in Babylon, the lives and the souls of men are matters of commerce. Would you not have thought, after philosophers have philosophized, and teachers have taught, and preachers have preached, and people have spoken, and books have been written, that by now we would have reached that great apex when men look upon the value of human life as being the most supremely appointed of all the precious gifts in the earth. Wouldn't you? Now, I'm going to stop there for just a moment. Chriswell answers that question, but I think every one of us here tonight, we can answer this question too. See, he wrote those sermons about 10 years before that landmark Supreme Court case of Roe v. Wade in 1973 that where the United States government made it official that human life means nothing at all. And now almost 40 years after that time, Christians don't think very much about it either. And so we don't give a second thought for voting for a man or or voting for a party that uses murder as a litmus test for being on the Supreme Court. Now you can't even get on the court unless you believe in abortion. And Christians just go right on and they vote for people who stand for those kinds of things. So Christians have jumped on board on on this abortion thing, and it's just kind of ho-hum to us. Killing babies is like killing ants. If they get in your way, then you just suck their brains out and you throw them in a garbage can. That's all that you need to do. Well, Criswell goes on and he says, God says it's just the opposite. As we increase in our culture, as we go further into scientific achievements, as civilization and culture grow, God says our culture becomes more merciless, more cruel, more ruthless, more blasphemous, and God-dishonoring. Is this not corroborated in the newspapers and in the magazines of our day? Now, let me stop again there. Is our society ruthless? Is it cruel and merciless? Well, Criswell couldn't have imagined this either. Now there's a debate over growing fetuses for genetic material. And so we can experiment on that and do research. And you you wait, it's not going to be long, for that's going to be sold on the open market just like another commodity. And so what do we do with that? We we soothe ourselves and we say, well, we're, we're not actually destroying life, we're saving lives. We're doing all this research, all this scientific stuff. We're, we're actually going to save lives. Folks, there comes a point when we need to die, if need be, just to keep a moral compass. I mean, who is so selfish to say that, well, I must live? There must be a cure for my disease, and it doesn't matter who has to die or whose life is destroyed to make that happen. 
That is the ultimate selfishness of Babylon. That's the world system. And God says that he's going to destroy it. Now, let me read just a little bit further. Criswell also wrote this before the upheaval upheaval in in communism that happened over the last uh, 20 years or so, but the point is well taken. And he says, The majority of the millions of the populations of this earth live under governments that believe the human soul and human life nothing but merchandise. Destroy them, waste them, bury them, shoot them down, feed them into the maw of cannons, they say. As Lenin avowed, What would it matter if two-thirds of this earth were destroyed, if that one-third that remains be communist? And then he goes on in another part, and he says, From our Lord, we learn that the life of of a man was worth something, that there is a dignity, that there is an innate, God-given congenital endowment that belongs to every creature into whose face God has placed the light of intelligence and whose soul he has made in the image of God and whose very body is the temple of the Holy Spirit from heaven. We learn that from the Lord. When we depart from the Lord and when we depart from those teachings, when we say no to those things, there is nothing left but the emptiness of the persuasion that a man's life is like that of any animal. He is a dog. He is a beast. Woe to a nation that can slay a man and think no more about it than the destruction of an animal. God brings upon this arrogance, this conceit, this blasphemy, his terrible judgment. And this is what it is. The terrible judgment is coming. You see, the economy has become more important to us than life. And when Christians get immersed into that culture, do you know the inevitable thing that happens? People that live like this really don't have any concern for souls. They become rote Christians. They go to church, maybe, and they do all the motions of church, but they're really wrapped up in themselves. And what we need to do is remember verse number 4, because there, there was a call from God, where God says, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Well, let's go on. The kings cry for her, the merchants mourn for her. And now, thirdly, we find the sorrow of shipmasters. Now, the merchants have been enriched by Babylon... And they uh, fear, and they stand back. They don't want to get too close as it's being destroyed. In verse number 15, it says, They stand afar off for the fear of torment, weeping and wailing. And then we read in verse number 17, For in one hour so great riches has come to naught, and every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors, and as many as trade by sea, stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is likened to this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate. If you've ever been down to the ports in, in uh, Oakland or San Francisco, it's amazing the amount of merchandise that get, that's shipped in from all across the world. You can go across the Golden Gate Bridge and sometimes you see those cargo ships that are passing underneath. And it's amazing the amount of tonnage that's on those ships. I'm sure that Mr. Rico could tell you something about that, having been in the Merchant Marines and doing all that. He could tell you about all the shipping that goes on. But what we see around here is just a grain of sand compared to the amount of shipping that goes on all around the world. Now, the center of the shipping in the time of the tribulation will be Babylon. 
Babylon will become the new L.A. It's the new New York, the new London, new Tokyo, new Singapore, new Hong Kong. You take all of that and you roll it together, and Babylon becomes the distribution point of the world. And we can't really imagine what that's going to be like, how powerful the economic system there will be. Babylon is the center of all that. It's computer central. Everything has to run through there because the Antichrist has control of it all. Remember, he, he has control over everything that's bought and sold in, this, in the tribulation period. And so Babylon is controlling all of that, and the, and the Antichrist has his thumb over it all. Nothing goes in or out without Babylon. So the shipmasters have their contracts with Babylon. Nothing else matters but Babylon. There aren't any other customers. This is the customer. This is the one that controls it all. And so when that fails, who are you going to look to? What are the shipmasters going to do? Where, where are they going to, uh, who's going to pick up all the pieces of this? Where do you go? Where do you get another shipment? What port do you go to next? And so when they see that smoke that's rising from Babylon, what, how, what will they do? How will they collect goods? And, and worse than that, how are they going to collect their checks? That's what they're worried about. So all of that has collapsed. And if you have faith, if, they, if, if you have faith in that, if that's all you have faith in, then you've lost everything. Now, in verse number 22, it says, All the craftsmen, the tradesmen are shut down, the millstones are silent. I think that refers to the manufacturing that's in the city. It cranked out all of these goods, but now the factories have been vaporized. And so the shipmasters stand back and they contemplate that. They weep and they wail. They cry. They throw dust on their heads. Babylon is bewailed because all is lost. Now, I want to look at Something else for just a minute here in verse number 22. Just to mention what I think is an interesting aspect of this destruction. Verse 22 says, And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. So fourthly, we have the muzzling of musicians. Babylon is a manufacturing center, it's a shipping center, it's a giant shopping mall of gargantuan proportions. It has everything to offer. And so Babylon will be a party town. And with all the tradesmen that come in and out of the city, with all the business conventions that are there, with the heads of state that come in and out of there, there's going to be a lot of entertainment. And this is entertainment that has no cap on the limits of its depravity. Now remember, the Holy Spirit's restraining power has been removed. And when men can live it up, when they can go to the depths of their depravity, there is nothing that's going to be unexplored. And I hope that there's not anybody in this room that's involved in the Internet world of pornography. You know, Brother Gary and I were talking about that some weeks ago, and, and he was telling me that in his practice, this is something very serious among Christian people that he has to deal with. Uh, Christians get sucked into that world, and, and I don't even know how many varieties of decadence that are, that's there. I don't even want to know. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm sure that I haven't thought about and I don't want to think about. But there's really, really some restraints on that. Now, you might not think there is. I mean, the government doesn't seem to control too much, but there actually is some restraint on what can be done. Now, it doesn't come from man. It actually comes from God. God limits some of that. But in the tribulation time, with the Holy Spirit removed from the world, or that influence removed, all bets are off. And so those types of things that are now unexplored will be unexplored no longer. And when perfect, pure evil rules, and that's an oxymoron, I know, but when perfect, pure evil rules by the one who is perfectly pure evil, you can imagine how 
bad things are going to be. You know, we, we think about Satan scraping the bottom of the barrel with, with the evil that he produces, but he doesn't do that. His barrel is bottomless. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And when all these restraints are removed, men get into that, and it's going to be a, just a terrible mess that you can't even imagine. But there will be the sound of music in Babylon. And folks, it's not going to be Julie Andrews singing. You know, the other day I was, I was driving on Expressway, and I pulled up to the light at Commerce, and there was a fellow that pulled up next to me, tattooed, pin-cushion guy, you know, and he's sitting there with a, with a radio blaring as loud as it could go, and you cannot imagine, well, you probably can, the kind of filth that was coming out of the songs that he was playing on the radio with the bass blaring. You know, I, I don't know how that's possible. I don't see how anyone can call rap music. I mean, if you think that's music, you are sick in the head. You need to be put in a straitjacket. I don't care if you like me saying that or not. I mean, uh, it's a sick thing. You know what Satan does? Satan perverts music. Just like he perverts everything else, he perverts music. But now you have Christians that have latched on to that. And you you hear that kind of stuff in, in churches today. And they really don't have a clue about what what God is doing and what beautiful music is. And so churches get a hold of that. And, and I know all the arguments that they make. Well, music, that's just a matter of taste. Well, there's some things that you don't eat, folks. I mean, I don't eat out of latrines. And that's what all this stuff is. Well, but they say, but that's what the young people like. That's, that's what you've got you to gotta have to get the young people in. Well, I say, get some new young people. Or get some that get saved, and when they get saved, God will root that stuff out of them, get them sanctified, and that won't be in them any longer. Now, we notice something else about this. The music, the dancing, the parting, the decadence, it makes Babylon the place to be. And so in verse number 23, it speaks of the bridegroom and the bride, and all of that will take place in Babylon because this is the place to go. This is where you get the bachelor parties, and there's where the wedding chapels are multiple, multiple times more than you find in Las Vegas. Now it's time for me to make you mad. Let me hit on this one about Las Vegas. I do not understand what Christians are doing vacationing in Las Vegas. I don't understand that. Now, a few years ago, I had to go there for a, uh, a convention, and I stayed at one of the hotels that was close to the convention center. And all that I could think of after two days of being there is let me get out of here and wash this stuff off of me. I mean, it was terrible. If you can vacation in Las Vegas and not feel like there's scum all over you, then you better check out where your foundation is. You just might be one of those people that has their foundation built upon the sand. See, this is what Vegas is. It's all the enticing bright lights, the beautiful buildings. There is no better place that you can go to see the fulfillment of Scripture and how that Satan makes sin so enticing. That's what it's all about. And you need to know this as well. You know, they have that commercial that you see on TV, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Folks, what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. And if you're a Christian, you need to know that because everything that happens in Vegas gets recorded in God's books. Everything is written down. God sees all of that. He remembers it all. That's what this chapter's just told us. God has remembered the iniquity. Don't you ever think that what, you ha- what happens in Las Vegas when you're away from church or anywhere else for that matter goes unnoticed? God has a record of it all. It's in his books. And it's going to be interesting how God blots that out. What kind of process you're going to have to go through for God to blot that out? 
Now, verse 23 says, And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Sorceries is the same word here from which we get pharmacy and pharmaceuticals. And what it means is drugs and poisons and witchcraft and the occult. Babylon is all of that. It is mind-altering. It exploits the very worst sinful attitudes of the mind. Its enchantments take people further than the body and the soul have ever gone before. Well, finally, there is another side to the destruction of Babylon. And we look at 1 through 4 here. We have kings and merchants and shipmasters and musicians. All of them are mourning over Babylon. Babylon is bewailed. But there's a different reaction from another group. We also see, fifthly, the rejoicing of the redeemed. Verse number 20, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Now, there are two words that will help us close out chapter 18. The first one is victory. The 24th verse says, And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. There comes a time of rejoicing because God triumphs. God has the victory over all of these people that have mercilessly shed the blood of his people. The tribulation is a time of unprecedented bloodshed. Millions of people are going to be saved during that time, but also millions of people will be killed. Those who have witnessed the gospel of Christ are going to be killed. They'll hear the word, or people will hear the word, they'll reject it, and they will kill the messengers. And that's really not any different from the age-old reaction to the gospel. God sent prophets to Israel, and what did they do? Those who weren't true Israel killed those prophets. And then God sent his own son, and what did they do to him? They crucified him. In the 16th chapter, in verse number 6, it says that the men of the earth shed the blood of saints and of the prophets. And in the 17th chapter, it says that ecclesiastical Babylon is drunk with the blood of martyrs. The gospel is not embraced by this world. Just as I was saying this morning, you cannot make the gospel appealing to people. It is not attractive to the world. And so the reaction of unregenerate men will always be this. They will kill those who bring them hope, and they will pin all of their hopes in something that brings them the destruction of their souls forever. Now in this day, in this time, we are not allowed vengeance on our enemies. The Lord does not allow us to fight back with swords. He has not authorized any kind of a holy war that we can kill unbelievers. And that's because our minds have not yet been fitted with perfect justice for perfect reasons. See, the human mind could never kill righteously because there's always that that element of hate. There's always selfishness. There's always sinfulness in us. But you don't want to be mistaken about this. You do not want to build an untrue image of God. God is not a flower child that lives in peace and love and harmony with all souls, whether they're righteous or sinful. Perfect justice does not exist that way. The holiness of God does not exist that way. And so the Word of God says that God will avenge sin. And we ought not to get caught up in this wishy-washy nonsense that God hates sin, but God loves sinners. 
Now hear me out until you understand what I'm saying. God makes no practical difference between sin and the sinner. And that's because when sin is found in the sinner, the sinner goes down with the sin. See, when Christ took our sins on the cross, God didn't spare him. Because sin was on him, God turned his back on his own son. So, don't think for a minute that if sin is found in you as an unrighteous sinner, that you'll escape that. Well, we're redeemed. When we are redeemed, I should say, and we're in heaven, that is when our minds become like God's. God hates all sin, and God will have vengeance. And so these people that are in heaven, they have the mind of God now. And and so when God brings his vengeance upon the earth, they rejoice over that. Minds have been made perfect, and so uh, we're not going to agonize over the destruction of sinners. We'll not bewail sin like the sinners, like, like Babylon bewailed all the sins that were there. Goodbye and good riddance. That's what the holy apostles and the prophets and those that are in heaven say. Goodbye and good riddance. Christ has gone forth to conquer, and the victory is his. And so all heaven rejoices because the kingdom of God is coming. This is what they rejoice over. Everything that hindered the coming of the kingdom of God on earth has now been destroyed. The righteous have been humiliated long enough. Christ himself has been humiliated long enough. And so heaven rejoices when sin and sinners are destroyed. Now, the other word that we have is the word violence. Babylon is destroyed with violence. Verse 21, And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. So, in a symbolic gesture... There's an angel that comes, and he casts a great stone into the sea. And I suppose that this may be like a huge meteor or something like that. It causes a tidal wave of of, of monstrous proportions that everything in its wake is obliterated. It is a violent overthrow of Babylon. Now, we're going to turn to just one more scripture this evening uh, and read in Jeremiah chapter 51. If you turn there, please. And and I I just want to show you this because it, 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 it... gives us another display of the Bible's consistency. Revelation is not tacked on to the end of the Bible like there's nothing that is associated with it. It doesn't hang out here by itself. Things are proceeding according to God's plan. And so in the 51st chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah gives us a miniature, just a little thumbnail picture of the destruction of Babylon. Now notice verses 61 through 64, Jeremiah 51. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When thou comest to Babylon, and shalt see, and shalt read all these words. Now, now Sariah is a prince in Israel. He is an ambassador. He's an ambassador who loves peace. And so, uh, Jeremiah sends him to Babylon with this prophecy, with a not-so-peaceful prophecy. And in verse 62, he says to him, Then thou shalt say, O Lord, thou hast spoken against this place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever. And it shall be, when thou hast made an end of reading this book, that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it into the midst of the Euphrates. And thou shalt say, Thus shall Babylon sink, and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah gave this prophecy to Babylon, and he has a little bit of a, a little demonstration to go along with this. He told Sariah to take a scroll on which he had written this prophecy, and to tie a stone around it, and throw it 
into the Euphrates. And that sinking stone was emblematic of how Babylon would sink. You ever watched in the movies or heard in the movies these, these gangster movies where they put somebody in cement shoes or cement overcoat and they throw them into the drink? Why do they do that? Well, so they won't, the body won't float back up. Maybe they did that to Jimmy Hoffa. I don't know. But the body go, goes in. It doesn't float back up. Go straight to the bottom. And did you know the Caesars and, and the Roman Catholic Church did that to believers? They would tie stones around their neck, necks and they'd throw them into the river and they would sink and they would drown and you'd never see those bodies again. Well, this is the picture that we have with Babylon. Jeremiah um, gives a picture here of what's going to happen in, in the destruction of Babylon. Now, what happened in his day was that Babylon was destroyed, but his prophecy has not been completely fulfilled. Uh, Babylon, at various times through history, although it's not been completely rebuilt, there has been some. some there have been some who have lived there. Uh, there are some who have been in that in that part of the country. Saddam Hussein, as we discussed once before, uh, tried to rebuild the city of Babylon. There are buildings that are there today, and so the total fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy has not yet come, but it is coming. And that's why we have the book of Revelation to explain. And that's why we have the picture that Jeremiah gave. There will be a total fulfillment of this. A giant stone, so to speak, is going to be tied around Babylon's neck and cast into the sea so it never rises again. Jeremiah is right about this. This is when God destroys the system of the world forever. When God brings in that kingdom of righteousness, it is an everlasting kingdom. And Jesus will sit upon the throne of David forever. The world system is gone. Well, when we get into the next chapter, chapter 19, we see rejoicing. And this is because the righteous king finally comes. Now, folks, I I hope sincerely that you are in Zion and you are not in Babylon. Destruction of this world system is coming. And I don't know how far away it will be, but I know that God's word is always true. And I want to be on his side, not the other side. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time you've given us tonight in your word. We just ask you, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts. Help us to be the kind of people, the kind of Christians that always stand for you, that we forsake the world, that we put it behind us. We always keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and serve him to the very best of our ability. Bless us tonight, Lord, as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.